and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? I'm very tired. I just flew back uh, from my vacation in Texas, which I mentioned before. I'm still trying to get my sleep schedule back, and it's something, you know, approaching realistic. I, I mean, I've only been up for... I don't know, like 17 hours at this point, but it's about the normal time where my body starts to get tired. So basically, as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> How adulting. All right, well, in that case, let's get into it. As always, we'd like to start our episode by thanking the Patreons, you know, the people who make this whole pirate ship possible. They are Pam Galley, Marquis Orion McCann, and Chris Chipman. Now, as I say in every episode... If you'd like to help us out and become a patron, just head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash geekswithshields. It only costs you 25 cents an episode. And come on, guys, 25 cents. There's not even ads. Sure. So this week, we're going to do kind of a fun, nostalgic look back and talk about Marvel. Yeah, because that's totally original. No one ever said we ran on originality here. I was all right. Let's move on. Let's let's keep this bandwagon going. <laughs> so, I think it's fair to say. Well, I'm sure it's more than fair to say that we grew up in what is considered the dark age of comics. The '90s. Yes. Yeah. Because this is the last. This is the bur- right before the bubble bursts. The bubble bursts. You know, I think most people agree, like '98, 2001, sometime in that period. I don't know, you could easier describe it as, was Rob Liefeld working? Alright, Dark Age. Yeah, and uh, for those of you that are too young to remember, or just don't know what we're talking about, this is when everything was extreme, and over the top, and just, who boy. And no one had feet. Because Rob Liefeld couldn't draw feet, for anyone who doesn't know. Anyway. Lots of pouches, though. That's There's that Deadpool uh, really... chew joke for you. It's an easy joke to attribute Rob, Rob Liefeld to that because he made some of the worst offenders. But really, the 90s in comics was going through a make everything dark and edgy and serious and take itself way too seriously and forget that it's called a comic book. Well, also a lot of bad writing and a lot of big event comics because everyone was looking for that one they could put away and have be worth something. And... The art isn't terrible. I will say that I can much easily easy, have an easier time going back and reading old 90s comics than I can, say, 80s comics. And that's not for the story. The story is atrocious, but the artwork is more to my sensibility when well, it's not... It depends entirely on... I feel this kind of statement that, like, on the whole, I disagree because I feel like on the whole, 90s artistic sensibilities are unappealing. But at the same time, I would say that comes down to you know, very specific artists. I would argue that there are more I like in the 90s than there are in the 80s. That's probably the best way to put it. All right, fair enough. Because there's a lot I don't like. Like the whole Marvel reimagined with prime example being Iron Man, but with smokestacks. Yeah, that's a thing. Look that up. Were you reading comics in the 90s? Very little. I owned a handful of Spider-Man comics that I um, had been gifted. Uh, I don't even remember what most of them were. I owned, I think, like one Thor comic, one Captain America, America comic, and that's really the extent of the comics I actually had my hands on. I'd read a couple while, you know, hanging out, like, in Hastings or stuff like that, but that was later in my life. Like, young, young, I uh, didn't really have a whole lot going. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. My older brothers had trunks full of comics, 
and I even read a couple here. I read the first of the Venom saga when that got going. Little things like that here and there. Uh, for the most part, I wasn't big into comics when I was younger because, one, I didn't live anywhere where you could conveniently or easily get comics. And seeing as how they were highly serialized at the time, it would often be months at a time before I'd be able to go somewhere and get the next copy. And by then, who knows how many has come out or even what I'm looking for. What I did watch a lot of in the 90s were the cartoon adaptations of the comics. Yeah, although it's uh, another case where, well, I should say another case. This is a, a case where I feel like DC really was whipping Marvel's ass when it came to this, but that didn't mean that Marvel was out of the game completely. I mean, I mentioned Spider-Man. The 90s Spider-Man cartoon is was and still is amazing. Yeah, no, I had to disagree. I'd say, okay, it's kind of hard to go up against Batman the Animated Series, because... Even I don't like Batman, and as we've all you know, if you're long-time listeners, you know I love that show. But I would argue the 90s gave us the Spider-Man, you know, cartoon, the X-Men cartoon, and I'd argue, you know, the Hulk is pretty good. Now they also had the Fantastic Four, and I thought there was another one that wasn't as good. But I'd argue they had quantity, we're not necessarily quantity. You can't really argue against batman the animated series every time we talk about cartoons in general it's like i spend much of the time just talking about theme songs that have been stuck in my head for decades yeah so uh, this was kind of my introduction to a lot of the comics stories especially was mainly the x-men series and the spider-man series that's before i even really got into comics i knew characters like apocalypse and doc ock because they're you know runs in the tv series not so much the comics What's funny about that for me is that I feel the same way about X-Men, but Spider-Man's a little different because Spider-Man is, in my brain, you know, like Godzilla or Darth Vader. It's one of those things where, like, I was so young when it got in my brain that I can't imagine a time in my life where I didn't love Spider-Man, where it wasn't already a big part of what my pop culture psyche was so like i can't explain exactly how i got into spider-man because it happened way too early but oh yeah 100 percent. yeah but i did love that that cartoon well i think the thing again a lot of people that may not totally understand is spider-man is one of those marvel properties that has never gone away like if it can be slapped on a lunchbox it has been and it will be well spider-man's been considered marvel's flagship character for a long time now which is weird, because he's had a, a couple notoriously bad comic book runs, but another time, another topic. But no, I kind of feel like Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, you know, those got stamped on so much uh, scholastic products. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you remember those at all. Like, when they tried to get us to collect stamps, they were, you know, Justice League stamps and Spider-Man stamps. What you're saying about Spider-Man, 100% true, was always kind of there. And then, you know, we got Blade in the late 90s. Which, As a movie, I mean, I I didn't care, so I didn't really, I still don't, I mean, I've seen Blade the movie, but I don't really know much of what goes on in it. <laughs> I'm not a big Blade fan. I don't know if I'm a big Blade, I enjoy both the movies, but I don't think I saw this one when this first came out. It wasn't until years and years later that I actually sat down and watched this. Uh, the first movies, what, you're not a fan of Blade Trinity? No. Just... <laughs> Slagathor! loves that movie because she has odd tastes in movies and it's not well also unwatchable but there 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 are some truly unwatchable movies it's just no god no and like you listen to Patton oswald and uh wesley snipes is starting to lose it a bit 
walking around the set having everyone refer to him as Blade and handing out one-liners on cue cards and just all sorts. It was a weird shoot, apparently. I do know that there's a, a great continuity error in Blade 1, and I'm not using that to say any criticism. It's just a fun little thing to note. There's a moment where Blade's friend, I don't know what his name is, is like holding Blade's hand, like helping him get through some pain, and then he walks away, and it cuts back to Blade, and he's still holding his hand. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes after working 80 hours, you miss cuts. Yeah, I know. Like I said, I'm not using that as a criticism, but it's just funny. And uh, It's a fun fact. <laughs> So, no, uh, Blade didn't do anything, didn't register as anything more than a blip on the radar. Now, do you remember what came out first, Spider-Man or X-Men? As far as the cartoons are concerned? And we're talking the movies, like, because... Oh, the movies are concerned as X-Men, but I know that for a reason, because here's why. I've watched a few different uh, discussions on those movies specifically, and Spider-Man is... Sam Raimi's Spider-Man the movie... Uh, which is, what, 2001, 2002? It was the first movie to be, like, a comic book movie as we currently know them today. Like, a very accurate from-comic-to-screen adaptation, like, made by a very auteur director, you know, sharing, like, their vision of said adaptation. Whereas X-Men was more like the last movie in the let's-make-everything-like-the-Matrix kind of the leather and uh, yeah real quick just get this one out of the way geeks with shields thinks that brian singer should rot in hell and is a terrible horrible garbage person we do i'm I'm, okay i'm not aware of that but uh if ulrich thinks so then you know i'll uh catch up after the show if you have get keeping up with the news yeah okay go on yeah uh we just can't talk about x-men without you know addressing that one i remember when this one first came out it was a big thing because in my house, I think in a lot of houses in the 90s, you were either an X-Men family or you were a Spider-Man family because those are the two predominant, you know, franchises of the 90s. I didn't and realize that that was a, a dichotomy. I'd ne- I've never heard of that dichotomy until you said it just now, but go on. Really? Well, yeah, maybe it was, it was just my household. Yeah, just your household. Oh, makes sense. There was enough of us. We, there was more of us, so it was, you know, we needed teams. We couldn't just have a single hero. Anyways... That first teaser for the X-Men movie where it's just the opening of Cerebro with the X on the door and the shadows walking forward, uh, my brothers and I just got super hyped because we loved X-Men. And I remember we had a fighting game where you got to fight all the X-Men characters against each other. And it came with a special mail-in promo for two tickets to see uh, X-Men. Hmm. Okay. Now, and of course, we were unable to claim these tickets because it was some movie fran- uh, theater franchise that we didn't have access to. Mm-hmm. But we played this game over and over and over again, speculating about who was going to be, you know, on this X-Men team. What was going to happen? Who was it going to be? And we saw it, and we loved it. And at the time, X-Men was a perfectly serviceable movie. Well, I'd still say that it is perfectly serviceable. At the time, I thought it was like a you know really good movie. Now I'm like, it's fine. It's not bad, it's just it's fine. It's starting... I don't know. There's some, definitely some issues with it. Sabretooth is just weird-looking. Yeah, Halle like, Berry was... That's why I say it's just fine. Yeah, I would say it's fine. I will say that that's one of those movies that uh, Ray Park, when he was at his height, you know, he kept showing up in things, but they wouldn't show his face or give him any lines. They'd just be like, yeah, Ray Park, do the action stuff. And he plays Toad in X-Men 1, and he's awesome. <laughs> Because Ray yeah. Park is awesome. 
you kind of it's the bearing of you know being a visual actor yeah like if you're known you know for you know being able to act under 20 pounds of makeup or contort yourself into weird shapes they don't want to hear you talk they just do the thing do the monkey dance yeah, it's really too bad because Ray Park's like a martial artist, and I, I feel like anyway, not the point. Point is that he that's one of those things that like X Men One I don't hear anyone ever talk about, and I'm like, yeah, give Ray Park some credit, man. Like Toad is a, I'm not gonna say difficult character, but a difficult character to make compelling, you know? Yeah, he's just well, he's kind of a secret villain. He's supposed to be a joke, yeah, but Ray Park makes him seem actually like intimidating and powerful. Yeah. What was the cameo? Uh, he's on the beach getting a hot dog when the senator comes out of the water naked. Oh, that, that's right. That's right. Okay. So this was my first connection with Stan Lee. And I remember my mom, I don't know why she knew who Stan Lee was. I'll have to ask somebody. But she pointed out and said, do you know who that is? I'm like, no, that's Stan Lee. This is the guy that, you know, created the X-Men. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Also, more importantly, we got the first uh, appearance of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, a role which... No one has played a comic book character longer, I think, at this point, right? Yeah. Well, because Hugh Jackman up to this point was, um, you know, he was like a ballet dancer in Australia, and I think he'd done a few like minor kind of roles. If he did anything important, I'm not aware of it, but I was, you know, pretty young at the time. Actually. Yeah, we both were. And comic book movies were still kind of a gamble. Like they, we had the '90s are not just a dark age for comics in general; they were a bad dark age for comic book movies. Well, there were also a, I don't know what the right word is, cesspit uh, for movies in general. Like, we've talked about 90s action movies, but the problem with that concept is that the, the 90s were very generic uh, for a lot of what kind of movies were coming out. Oh yeah, if it worked once, they repeated it. Hence why there's even the concept of everything wanted to be the Matrix for quite a while. Oh, God. Yeah. What the X-Men was doing. It was like, all right, we're just going to take these characters and make the Matrix, but with them. That's why they're all Yeah, the saturated colors. Well, they just... Then they even made the joke, you know, what do you want, blue and gold spandex? And comic book fans were, yeah, kind of. But even more than that, just look at how, uh, on a more subtle way, look at how that first movie is shot. Like, one of the... One of the best scenes or little scenes in X Men One is when Wolverine does the like claw the the what's the the, the ting part of the crown or the tiara that the Lady Liberty you know yeah where he swings around on it and that's totally a Matrix like bullet time thing like yeah and then of course the big bombshell dropped that they were making a Spider Man movie yeah and not to mention with Spider Man as as I said it's the first real like this is accurate to comic adaptation kind of thing because look at look at his suit when they first it's got colors yeah exactly and and of course i wasn't old enough to to be aware of this but i know that older fans heard sam raimi and were like lost their minds because the idea of sam raimi getting his hands on that kind of property was unheard of at the time yeah, I, went, I remember uh, we went and saw this in the theaters and walked out like, that was really cool. That it was, was bright the... and it was colorful and there was, it didn't feel, we couldn't, like, I couldn't, you know, put words to it at the time because I was still fairly young and had no real context for great filmmaking. But I knew that this was a solid, fun movie that was nothing like X-Men. That was the longest line for a movie I've, to date, ever seen. Me and my mother, we went to see Spider-Man and the line to get in went out of the mall because it was a theater inside a mall 
and the line went all the way out of the mall. <laughs> like I've never seen that kind of line for a movie ever since. And I don't know about you, but I remember my brothers and I coming out of this and going, okay, they've done Spider-Man and they've done the X-Men. Who do you think is next? And where I remember saying, I can't wait till they do Thor. I was like, no, man, they're going to do Captain America. That's just the right feel. And this is the right time to do it because it's post 9-11 and we're all very, you know, pro-America and going and beating up the bad guys. And Captain America seemed like a sure thing. Again, we didn't understand the complexities that were going on behind, but we were well, psyched for more comic book movies. Well, plus, because we weren't alive in the 70s, uh, we weren't aware really that Hulk as more than just a comic book character to i'd seen reruns of the old tv show but hulk was not on my mind yeah but i'm just saying that like hulk is was a character that you know non-comic book readers know so it made sense that the next marvel movie to come out was hulk do we want to talk about that real quick uh eric banna's hulk yeah that actually come out after spider-man i think it's somewhere in the mix despite there's not spike angley yeah, Angley's Hulk. Um, that was 2008. So yeah, well after that was. Oh, no, that's the Incredible Hulk. Never mind. Yeah, Incredible uh, Hulk's 2008. That one. 2003. So yeah, it still was after. It's so like, we're in the chronology. This is the first one I remember really being disappointed with. Like I was on the hype. Like X Men was awesome, and Spider Man was really cool, and this is long and weird. And Hulk fights an electric monster at the end. Here, here's the thing about Eric Bana's er, Angley's Hulk. It is, I think, a better movie than it gets credit for, but the problem is it's a really slow and methodic movie with a lot of scenes of just people like solemnly talking about what's going on and not nearly enough Hulk smash, which is, you know, that's the catchphrase, Hulk smash, right? Yeah, and I get what they're going for because on a story level, they've captured what Hulk is very well in he's a tortured kind of person and he's warring with this inner monster and his rage. But you also got to balance that with the fact that he's a giant radioactive green monster that destroys things. Which, like, say what you want about the Incredible Hulk, but one thing the Incredible Hulk did well is make the villain just abomination, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we can focus primarily on, you know, Dr. Banner for the rest of the movie, and then we just have a big monster for him to fight in a cool, you know, end scene. But with Ang Lee's Hulk, they spend all this time trying to build up his father as this villain that it it who's not very well developed in that movie and who's i think miscasted for what he's supposed to be because he kind of flips on this weird dime near the end but well he's always kind of a gamble yeah it's just a weird choice for what was going on in that movie it was a weird movie but no i distinctly remember this one going oh well i guess superhero movies are back to being lame and you know what the sad thing is i saw that movie three times in theaters not because i wanted to just because I was with three different groups of people who hadn't seen it. So, <laughs> but the third time I fell asleep in the theater, I was just out of it. like, oh. Uh, so, back to fun stuff. Uh, X-Men 2. I remember this one got me excited. Last, because... uh, uh, Unite? No. I remember the, the subtitles for these X-Men. Yeah. The last stand's the third one. What's the second one called? I think it's X2 X-Men United. Okay. United was fine. I'm on my shelf and I can't see it. Um, I was excited for this one because my brother went and saw it with his girlfriend. He came back and like, man, this one has Nightcrawler and Colossus. So I was like, holy shit, Nightcrawler and Colossus? <laughs> it's funny. Now we're getting into some name dropping territory. Well, it's funny to think about uh, an innocent time when just including, you know, a character could have made you, you know, really excited for a movie. I don't know, man. I still get excited for you know certain name dropping. 
like they just announced that Moon Knight is maybe possibly happening. And every time yeah, they Moon Knight going on and on about Moon Knight for a while now, but there's they I don't think they can name drop anyone that would make me excited just by their name. I'd want to know more like how they f- anyway, not the point. Point is that uh yeah, with X2, like I love Nightcrawler, so yeah, I was excited to see Nightcrawler. Yeah, but I think you brought up, you know, the best point. At this point, we're still like we don't know what they're gonna pull out of the bag and our brains are going, There's no way they're gonna do the twelve metal giant or the blue skin teleporting dude. That just no, nah, that's too crazy. Well it's especially weird is because my exposure to Nightcrawler, because he's not he doesn't feature predominantly in the nineties cartoon. He's there. But he's only got like a couple episodes. Yeah, so I wasn't really aware of him from that. I was uh, was aware of him though primarily from the the cartoon the x-men cartoon we talked about a while back the uh, evolution like a, yeah yeah which was i think around out at the same kind of time i had to check the timeline but point is that in in that show nightcrawler is a, is a kid i mean they're they're all kids but like nightcrawler is my favorite character in that show he's this i didn't realize he was german he had an accent but i wasn't old enough yet to really comprehend the concept of where that accent was coming from so then when movie nightcrawler showed up as this you know, adult with this different accent that what I was used to and being really solemn and, you know, kind of depressed and morose. I was like, I was confused. <laughs> That's what I was. Uh, I wasn't super happy with his portrayal. I do remember looking back and I still kind of like, you know, I miss fun Nightcrawler, not, you know, Catholic guilt Nightcrawler, but he looks awesome and it's Nightcrawler in a movie on the big screen. Well, looking back, I really like that depiction of nightcrawler for those reasons but it definitely was not something i was ready for or expecting when it happened yeah now as for colossus the guy didn't really even get any dialogue so it hasn't been until deadpool that colossus became a character which is a travesty a little bit yeah but we're still in this stage of oh my god they're making awesome comic book movies we we did get an extended scene of wolverine uh stabbing people admittedly it was still bloodless because you know the rain oh the kitchen scene well not just i mean in general the entire house scene where he's just stabbing guards and pretty awesome yeah no this is all a solid movie and again this was one my brother oh they were big x-men fans they had the collections so i remember sitting down with them and they're all you know talking it's like Man, do you remember Wolverine's backstory? No, do you? No, and they're digging through their trunk of comics trying to find, you know, Wolverine's origin story, which ironically didn't exist at the time. Well, no, it did. It just existed. Well, not the one that they were doing. Uh, they were adapting a handful of different concepts of what um, Wolverine's backstory is, but the, the basic idea of James Howliot has been in place for since like the 80s at least. I thought the whole uh, Wolverine like miniseries, like mid two thousands. No, that was the Wolverine miniseries was more about filling in a lot of the details. Of, like, uh, for instance, the wars he fought in. Like, I believe that the events of Wolverine and Silver Samurai, for instance, are part of like the that Wolverine miniseries. But Wolverine's backstory as James Howliot when he was born, how long he's lived, that's been present for a lot longer. Hmm. Well, it is. I just remember my brothers, you know, digging through this trunk of comics, trying to pull out all their X-Men comics to piece together the story of Wolverine and, you know, going in to the third one and jumping back over to Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. Which is amazing. And here's the thing. I was thinking about the other day. I know I have seen this movie. I know I've seen this movie a lot. For some reason, I can't recall anything about it. 
Okay, I gotta I gotta make a bit of a stand here. Um, so I don't feel like I need to defend Spider-Man Two at all. It is widely loved among the film critic community, even like among people who are more critical of comic book movies in general. Spider-Man Two was considered to be like the best superhero movie for a long time, and it's still because I personally like Spider-Man One more for personal reasons. I wouldn't say Spider-Man One is better, but you know, anytime you've got a sequel, you've got a few inherent issues that are almost impossible to overcome. And there's something about the contained story of Spider-Man 1 that I adore that Spider-Man 2 just can't do because it's, you know, a sequel. But, not the point. Basically, with Spider-Man 2, the only thing that don't doesn't work, two major things that don't work, is that Mary Jane has always been a not well done character in the movies like kirsten dunst doesn't doing a fine job but the it's writing not, it's just, not her fault the writing just isn't there for her to like it, you know ex- she's not fully developed really she's there to be no. she's there to be a catalyst for other characters she's so. got daphne syndrome kind of yeah and two the whole losing the powers being a manifestation of like emotional stuff there's better ways they could have handled that but once you put that aside basically every single frame of doc ock and everything to do with him in that movie is amazing (laughs) so and again this is getting even you know more out there in concept like green goblin body armor on a hoverboard pretty simple doc ock dude has robo tentacles and they looked real and they animated them to have like almost an expression of his emotion and their own kind of malignant, you know, sentience. Well, also this was the first time to my knowledge, because like Spider-Man one green goblin is a great comic book character. He was, he's always been a great comic book character. They found a great actor in William Defoe to bring said comic book character to life. So it really works. Doc Ock has not always been a great comic book character. In fact, he's basically been a pretty lame one note character in the comics for most of his existence and this movie actually really improved upon him in some massive ways that they've now like carried into the comics it gave which, him pa- uh, pathos it yeah, really gave him you can sympathize with you can follow and this is something we're only just now seeing with our villain oh you're an asshole but i understand your motivation but a movie adaptation being able to actually improve on like a character from the comic that's I think that was like again, this is the first something we're only now starting to see again. Yeah, exactly. So that's you know my main thoughts on Spider Man too. Yeah, and what I love is these are we've now reached the seek the two seek you know part two of these two flagship movies that are pushing forward and saying hey comic book movies can be good we're gonna do these things we're gonna be ambitious and then X Men three and uh, Spider Man three. Also, unfortunately, this is starting to get right around the time when um. When did Batman Begins come out? I don't remember. 2006, I want to say. 2005, so exactly. Ah, so. I, wanted, I was there. I was in that. Oh, so the Dark Knight's a few years after, and Christopher Nolan is basically making a stand for changing the entire dynamic of what superhero movies are to, well, what they would, what DC would try to emulate for years to come, and... I'm not saying it like polluted Marvel. Uh, Marvel had a whole bunch of other issues with. So X Men Three and Spider Man Three are fascinating case studies for different reasons. Like uh-huh. X Men Three, I have always maintained: if you take everything in that movie that has to do with the Phoenix and remove it, then what you're left with is actually a pretty fine story. 
Here's like, what I find interesting about both those movies. Sorry to cut you off. Um, both movies have parts of a good plot. If you took out one element or the other. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to, is that, so with X-Men 3, it's Phoenix. Like, Phoenix ruined, her entire story in that movie ruins the, like, everything with that movie. With with uh, Spider-Man 3, is a little hard to pin down. You could say it's basically Venom. I would like to keep the black symbiote suit. I think that's actually was a good idea. I think definitely keep, like, the Sandman, because he's great. But basically, what they choose to do with Harry in that movie is really stupid and having venom be right at force at the end feels well crappy like if i were rewriting spider-man 3 i would change the narrative so that like maybe there was a end credit scene where it's the birth of venom because like but i'd still maybe have harry like just disappear like just have most of the movie just be about spider-man dealing with the black suit himself and sandman have harry off like maybe he, you know, he's off learning how to be a better goblin, but he's just not around for this movie. And then just save Venom for the next movie. Yeah, you don't need so much because they both these movies take on so much, and it doesn't make sense. I've always wondered about this. Like, listen, you are raking in the money on these franchises. You don't have to end it a trilogy. You can keep going. Well, but they had they, planned to make Spider-Man. So 4. why did they feel the need to dump all this extra stuff in on top of it and pollute it? Uh, Avi Arad, that's why. <laughs> ah. So, this is a guy who basically has been in control of the Spider-Man license for a long time, and um, it, this is pretty well known at this point, but Sam Raimi was being very pressured by Avi and Sony in general to make a lot of changes to his vision of what Spider-Man 3 was supposed to be. Like, he didn't want Venom in there at all, and Avi basically forced him to put Venom in there. So that's what I've heard. So kind of circling back around to comics, it's around this point, you know, mid to late 2000s, I start getting into comics because I, well, I think uh, my uncle and my brothers, you know, started giving me old comics that they had liked. So I started amassing a collection of little paperback comics. And one year I got one of the best Christmas presents. It was the Marvel Encyclopedia, which was a timeline of Marvel comics from the very, you know, beginning of comics to 2005, along with character bios, and I devoured that. There's also another significant event that got me into comics at this point, and that was uh, Civil War and the death of Captain America. Okay. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this. This was on the news. I remember this, but at this point in time, on my side of the things, I had started getting really into manga in general and so i was reading a whole lot of different manga stuff and comic book artistic style didn't appeal to me it still doesn't really there are a few exceptions obviously like i i love uh kamala khan miss marvel run that looks great but the point is that i was not into comics and i actually kind of pulled even further away from comics because i wasn't into them aesthetically so no, this is the point I started going whole hog. Captain America died was his whole big... It was the tail end of some, you know, the nightly news. And in other news, Captain America has died. And my dad going, why are they talking about this crap on the news? And me going, God, they killed Captain America? Well, I need to know how. So I started, you know, trying to track down the Civil War comics and started getting into comics, started learning more of the obscure characters. And kind of, you know, looking back going, man, we had a good run with that X-Men and that Spider-Man franchise. Too bad it's over. 
And then they announced Iron Man. That's uh, 2008, right? Was Iron yep. Man? Yeah, Iron Man is funny because I was aware of Iron Man loosely from... I did, like, never read an Iron Man comic, but I... This kind of cultural osmosis. Well, he showed up in a couple of the cartoons as, like, a side character, you know, a handful of times. And so the I... The old I, Marvel versus uh, Capcom games. Yeah, exactly. And I played, I played a ton of Marvel vs. Capcom, too. So yeah, I was like aware of his existence. And I wasn't old enough to know that Robert Downey Jr. playing him was a big deal because Downey Jr. had just bought, he had just dropped off the map for the most of the '90s. Well, it wasn't that he dropped off the map; is that he had a very, very public drug breakdown and was in like rehab and getting his life back together. And uh, he had just finished Kiss Kiss Bang Bang like a year or so beforehand, which was his real comeback. But that kind of flew under some radars, unfortunately, because it's an awesome movie. But that Iron Man comes out, and he's basically perfectly suited to be Tony Stark. I just remember looking going, wow, he looks a lot like the character, because I only had the basic understanding of Iron Man, because, again, at this point, I'm kind of into comics, I've read his backstory, I'm like, oh, cool, they're doing Iron Man, that one will be interesting. Yeah, I will I will say that I did definitely know enough from, like, the cartoons and Osmosis and the little Spider-Man comics I read that I knew what the Avengers were, and the concept of the Avengers as a movie had literally never cross my mind because it seemed like that's not possible that's just you can't do that right yeah and again we're still operating in the mindset dual character get two movies and then a bad one true that was the uh part for the course at that point so this one of those takes we went again saw this with my family my brothers and i watched like wow that was really good and i remember saying i read online we're supposed to wait till the end and my mom was like why would we wait till the end? I don't know. Everyone's saying, listen, just sit till the end of the credits. There's a big, there's something special. And we're like, oh, okay. And then we get the infamous, you know, Mr. Stark, you're part of a bigger world. From you, know, Nick Fury and my brothers, you know, my older brother, myself, and we know what it means. We've been, you know, following comics. We're like, oh my God. And my mom going, what's the Avengers initiative? And it was just this unanimous, we're all thrust back to, you know, being kids in the living room, you know dissecting old X-Men comics to figure out Wolverine's origins that they're going with. Yeah. And we're back to, who do you think they're going to get? Who do you think they're going to do next? And well, I, knew this... from, I knew from the moment the Avengers uh, was said it was going to be Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, because those are like, even, I mean, generally speaking, every Marvel member has been part of the Avengers at some point, but those three characters, even then I was old enough to recognize that those three characters were the, like, primary colors of superhero types. Uh-huh. You know? And I figured, like, oh, they're finally going to do Thor. I'm finally going to get a Thor movie. Captain America had kind of, you know, drifted. And I remember also thinking, please, 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 please do not do the Ultimates universe. <laughs> I just remember, because at the time, they had made two Ultimates cartoons that they'd been running on the Cartoon Neck. And I just remember thinking, oh, don't do that. I don't want that. I know. Was that, uh, was that the absolutely terrible Fantastic Four cartoon that was running on Toonami for a while? I don't know if they... I don't remember a Fantastic Four cartoon on Toonami. There was they, a tell. I, I vaguely remember it. But no, this is the one where it was, you know, they had the Black Nick Fury, which was okay and cool, but they had the hippie Thor, and Ant-Man was a giant abusive douche. And I, I, Admittedly, I did like hippie Thor. It was, I, remember, I remember watching one of those animated movies where Thor was at a protest for whaling and yeah. someone shot a bullet at him and he just like looked at them and was like, that was a mistake. So, I just, I didn't like the costume. Uh, I don't remember the costume. I, like, it's I just, black I like, with these big silver balls running down his chest. 
Oh, I know what you're talking about. And he's okay. wielding a really bad... It's not Stormbreaker, but it's a really ugly hammer. And I just remember thinking, going, oh, please don't do that. So that kind of, you know, we've talked about our whole experience with the Marvel movies going forward. This was a huge, awesome moment. And it, you know, put me even further into comics. Like, okay, I need to get some Iron Man comics. Fun fact, later on... Uh, in what 2012 is it when Avengers came out? Mm-hmm. I was uh, and the the end credit scene happened with Thanos, who I knew, I I knew entirely who Thanos was at that point. But uh, I had been dating this girl for a couple of years at that point, I think, and we went with her family to see Avengers. And then as we were walking out, I made this statement. I said something along the lines of, "That's the biggest." And credit surprise since Iron Man started this whole thing. And he was like, no, Hulk started it. I went, no, Iron Man came out first. We had this huge... I remember this. I remember you telling me about... Yeah. And I was like, are you thinking about Ang Lee's Hulk? Because Incredible Hulk came out like a month or two after Iron Man. Tony Stark is in the Incredible Hulk. So, anyway... No, that was the first uh, time I remember. I didn't know who Thanos was. I had to go look him up. It's like, ooh, another gap in my knowledge. And then when I found out who Thanos was, like, that's a pretty big gamble for Avengers 2. Well, because what I started doing was, after Iron Man and the Avengers Initiative, because I knew who the Avengers were, I started just researching storylines. Because like I said, I wasn't really into comics because I don't like how they look really, but I like the stories a lot. So I just started reading, like, you know, synopses of various storylines, which I found very fascinating and it was a quicker way to ingest them too. So I already knew basically the the bullet points of Infinity War. No, I went and did comics. I hung out on the wiki. Man, like I said, this was a great... I've always kind of leaned towards Marvel, even as a kid. And I guess we'll kind of circle back to this because I've always been a Marvel over DC and it always came down... It always came down to the fact that uh, Marvel characters felt relatable in a sense. DC was always overpowered, but Marvel characters... You know, you can relate to him. And Spider-Man is the best example. Well, one of the best examples. Well, okay, admittedly, it's been low-hanging fruit, right? Like, it's been well-known. I can go with Tony Stark, then, if you want to talk Tony Stark. No, I just mean in general, the concept of comparing DC and Marvel as Marvel characters are meant to be relatable, DC characters are meant to be ideals, basically, is what what you're talking about. And that's why, like, I've heard some people recognize that same dichotomy and have that be the reason why they like dc more because dc superheroes are in a way they almost embody what a superhero is more because they are meant to be idealistic like they're paragons in their own way yeah. uh, which is funny because really if you look at their powers there are plenty of times where marvel heroes are actually a lot stronger than their analog uh, and yeah dc characters always felt the same to me like it felt very copy paste in their design Ah, oh, it's just a white dude with some random, you know, he can punch hard. Maybe it's just because I grew up with the X-Men and, you know, you higher spectrum of everybody and every conceivable power and shape and size. No, and- you're definitely you're definitely right about that. One of the great things about the X-Men as a concept is that the diversity in body types and facial types is a big deal, whereas the Justice League in general, and especially, like, don't get me wrong, I love the Justice League cartoon, but all the male characters have the literal exact same body. Square-jawed white guy, another square-jawed white guy, square-jawed black guy. Well, what freaks me out is I look at that and I'm like, okay, you put Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Marvin Marsh, or the, not Marvin Marsh, Martian Manhunter, and the Flash next to each other. The Flash stands out a little bit because he's a little bit thinner, but they all have the exact same square 
chest drawn. It's it's really weird to look at. So. And I think the other thing, and this, I've been thinking about this a lot, that kind of, you know, gave Marvel connection, is once I knew who Stan Lee was, and he started cropping up in, you know, movies and interviews, it gave me a personal tie to Marvel that I never had with DC. Well, I know for me, you know, I was, like you said, Spider-Man is the most relatable for a, a reason. Like, he's built, it's built into his character, he's what he is. But at the time, I was watching a lot of DC cartoons, because DC cartoons were killing it with, you know, Batman the Animated Series, the Superman, Justice League, Teen Titans, Static Shock was, you know, <laughs> happening. So, and Marvel just didn't have, like, any cartoons worth watching at the time. No, not really. Like even their animated movies were so-so. Yeah, but they were kind of so they were kind of like transition. It felt like transitioning to all right. We're making we're trying to make good movies, but we're not putting as much effort into our animations. Whereas DC, right? Like we had Dark Knight come out, and Warner Brothers seemed to not be interested in doing anything other than Batman. But they were still making. That's all great. they've ever been interested in doing. Let's be honest. Yeah, but they were still making great cartoons. So. So yeah. I'm just, I mean, Axel, where do you come down on the whole? Do you have a come down on one Marvel over DC? Uh, as a whole, I generally prefer DC, I think, because I like the scope of its stories, and I feel like DC in general has uh, better usage of its rogues. Like, I'm not going to say that it has better rogues. I mean, yeah, Batman's Rogue Galley, Superman's Rogue Galley are two of my favorites. But at the same time, Marvel's got Magneto and Doctor Doom. And those two alone are like... Anyway, I think it's tough because, again, my favorite superhero, period, is Spider-Man. And that almost makes me want to say, yeah, just because I love Spider-Man and Spider-Man's co- stories and Spider-Man's villains far more than even the, the next closest thing after it, right? Like the number two on the list would be static shock, his rose galleries, his stories, and the gulf between them is still pretty large. But if I try to be more like, all right, let's look at the entirety of what they do. I generally like the entirety of DC more than the entirety of Marvel. So that's perfectly fair. I mean, we have long been trying to, you know, tear down the wall. And I say we, in the term geek them entirely between you have to be one camp or the other. Because it's dumb. And there's a lot that DC does that I really like. I love the Justice League cartoon. I love Batman the Animated Series. Black Lightning is the best thing CW has produced in years. Well, it's like if I'm thinking about as a, you know, a property, right? When I think of DC, it's like I, I love Wonder Woman. Like everything about Wonder Woman, her character, her rogues, Kelly, I love. Like I said, I, I really love Superman. I will defend him from my peers and stuff. I, I may not be a big fan of Batman, but I've always loved his his rogues galley. My point is that while the in the current setting, right, like Marvel is doing better things with its properties in general by having killer movies and stuff, DC's properties, uh, even like the minor ones, like the question. Oh man, I <laughs> I love the question like so much, especially Jeffrey Combs as the question in Justice League. But like even minor characters like that, like you know Black Canary and stuff like that, I are great. But in Marvel, I I tend to glaze over a lot of the more minor characters like okay for instance the x-men outside of the core members and like magneto i don't really get as invested or care about a lot of the mutants like there's a lot of them and even i've kind of i love the x-men because i just have such a nostalgic tie to it i am not as big a fan of x-men comics like there are very few have been able to pick up and read name partially because they're so 
just dense in continuity. And also because, well, that one goes through a lot of art changes I just can't follow. Anyway, that, that was my point is like, I feel like it's important to point out that right now I like what Marvel's doing more, obviously, because they're doing better things with their property. But I, I just like the, the, the nature, the concept of the properties in DC a lot. Okay, not saying I don't. It's a complicated question, but my... It is a very complication. It's why it's dumb to try and draw boundaries. But I think we've rambled about, you know, our nostalgia for Marvel, how we came to Marvel, and all things general long enough. Should we move on to our suggestions of the week? Sure. All right, well, I'll start us off with... Uh, lately, I've been trying to, you know, reduce down the amount of podcasts I listen to, because I've been listening to an obscene amount, and I just don't have the time anymore. And also because I was falling behind on a lot of podcasts. Like, I'm still working through a backlog. And one of the ones I started listening to was the Talkbuster podcast by our good friend uh, Chris Chipman. Mm, okay. Uh, this one's a lot of fun because it's essentially him and then a guest talking about their experiences back when they worked at Blockbuster. It's just really easy listening and some of the stories. The best one being, this one had me cracking up laughing, he was talking about that their you know, TV in their store had direct TV and it had all the channels. Mm-hmm. And when I say all the channels, I mean all of the channels. Obviously. And Chris rounds a corner one day and he finds one of the associates is watching Playboy as customers are coming in to return their movies. Wait, Playboy is a, a show or a channel? A channel. Huh, I didn't know that. Weird. Yeah, and he's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? There's customers. Hmm. One, that's a great anecdote. And two, you all think it's he's got so many relatable stories that kind of make you go, yeah, I've worked with people like that. Or you just kind of go and wonder, what the hell? So, no, it's a fun just general listen to. Hmm. He has a great cadence, and there's a lot of fun stories like that. Well, I mean, if you're going to have a podcast based on the concept of like sharing those kind of stories, then it's going to live or die based on the quality of said stories and the presentation, right? So he's a good presenter. He can make even a bad story come off good, right? And yeah. he seems like a great presenter to me and what I've listened to. So, And if so many of our stories weren't, you know, held behind the, uh, well... We're just waiting for them to... What's the word? Status, uh... Status limit, statute limitations. <laughs> we would have a similar podcast of just us sharing stories. A lot of those, you know, one, my mother listens, and two, I will take some of those to my grave. We have we have recorded at least one podcast where, uh, where Ulrich underestimated the amount of information that I had to keep hidden from the topic. So maybe we'll release that someday, but... <laughs> so what's your suggestion? Well, in keeping with your sharing of a raunchy kind of story, I spent the last two days binging this Netflix show called Sex Education. It is fine. Like, it's not great, necessarily. It's it's actually, it's pretty good. It, it, it's interesting in that kind of, it, it is a high British high school or boarding school kind of drama, right? It, yeah. Um, and... It's a lot. There's a lot of sex. Like it is a lot about sex, and <laughs> sex things. So one thing I actually really like about it is how it normalizes the whole thing. So it, all the kids at the school, they're talking about sex, thinking about sex, all blah, blah blah. But they they talk about it, and there's not really any shame in any of it. It doesn't feel as I don't know prudish as maybe it is in reality. So yeah. But what's funny is that it's obviously a fantasy, right? Like nothing. The show isn't realistic really at all. But it uses its, I know height. It's kind of melodrama-y, but it uses melodrama to try to get at you know some truths of what 
sexuality, especially with, with youth, is actually like, right? And what are some important or interesting things about Like, okay, there's one character who has a turn in the last episode that I predicted in episode one, but just because I predicted it and knew it was coming doesn't mean that watching it happen was any less entertaining, you know? Yeah. So I would say that it's definitely worth a watch. Like I watched the first episode and the first episode had me, you know, really interested. And the rest of the series is very much in keeping with that first episode. So I feel like if you watch the first one and you're moderately interested, then keep on going because it's a pretty good blip. The show isn't going to like, you know, Madoka Magica and turn a dime into something completely different in episode three. No, it's, it's pretty consistent. So just give that first one at least a watch and... Maybe you like the rest of it, like I did. All right. Well, definitely check that out now. All right. So thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Because even keeping up with it, the YouTube algorithm was added again today, hiding people's posts. So, again, sharing really important. Um, if you further want to attack the YouTube algorithm, you can do it passively by supporting us on SoundCloud instead. Yeah, where there's, great site. Where there's no commercials. Yeah, you beat me to the saying that, but sure, that. <laughs> And you can download us and listen, take us wherever we can chew up data. It's a wonderful thing. So, as always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.